Welcome in, everybody, to this episode of Lauer After Hours. This is at Beat Count, and tonight we are thrilled to be joined by Roger Bennett. Everyone put your hands together for Roger. (laughs) So Roger is a broadcaster. He's a a podcaster, a filmmaker. Um, He is one of the co-hosts of Men in Blazers. Um, he is one of the most uh, premier soccer broadcasters in the United States. He's the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Men in Blazers Present Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica. And he's also, we just found this out, the author of Reborn in the USA, Roger Bennett, which is also debuting as the number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Roger, welcome in. Oh, thank you, America. It's lovely to be here on this day of great trauma for anyone mildly connected to English football. So it's a lovely way to end the day with uh, with all of you characters. Yeah, well, uh, we uh, first off, condolences, hearts go out to you. Um, I ride with Team America now, so I don't give a crap. Let's go. Let's I'm go lying. I'm lying, but I uh, I keep telling myself that emotionally. <laughs> I mean, the reality is when England do play America, I am all in on the America uh, glory. Like when the women play the me- uh, the women in the semi final of the World Cup, and Alice Mo- Alex Morgan drinks tea after scoring. I'm like, suck it, Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Piers can absolutely suck it. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, Mazel Tov on the on the New York Times bestseller, man. I I have uh, I have not been able to put this book down. Uh, this is tremendous. Uh, tell me about the whole process that kind of led to uh, the book here, uh, Reborn in the USA. Um, thank you, first of all. It's incredibly humbling. It's a crazy thing to do to write a book in 2021. It's kind of like trying to dedicate your life to doing a, a masterpiece painting on the side of a grain of rice. You kind of like, everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, who cares? But um, for it to find this readership that it has done right out the gate is just, it's been a remarkable experience. And the book is about growing up in England, in the north of England, in Liverpool in the 1980s. It's a magnificent city, but it was a city that had really fallen on dark times. Uh, The whole north of England had fallen away. The steel mills had shut down, the coal pits, the uh, cotton mills, and Liverpool, which was the port city, which uh, took everything out into the world. There was nothing to take out, and the city just fell apart. There was a huge heroin epidemic, huge unemployment rate, real darkness. And if you've watched Billy Elliot, you kind of get the drift of what England looked like. But he was bloody good at ballet dancing and I wasn't. So I survived. Like my ballet was really America, American culture. Uh, The television shows, the movies, the books, uh, the Chicago Bears Super Bowl winning team, um, Fantasy Island, Heart to Heart, Miami Vice, uh, Run DMC, Tracy Chapman, probably her more than anybody. And they were like a light in the darkness that gave me courage and sense of hope and a sense that life could be lived in technicolor, even though where I was, it was lived in black and white. So during lockdown, when New York City shut down and sports stopped, I I wanted to retrace my steps about this love that I feel for America, which is very deep. It's probably the, the defining idea of my life is like the American idea. 
Um, and when that American idea felt like it was under challenge, I wanted to retrace my sense of how it began and, and, and to re-examine what it meant to me and what it could mean in the here and now. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like I said, guys, this this book is absolutely tremendous. You can buy this um, wherever you buy books. Where does anyone buy books nowadays? Um, I, I sell them out the trunk of my car. Um, so that's really how I'm pushing this. I will say it's like a love letter to the United States. That's really what I hope it is um, at a time when our nation could really do with one. And when you have... St- stood in a courtroom in lower Manhattan with 162 other newly minted Americans, some of whom have escaped, you know, civil war, famine, conflict, many of whom have walked huge distances to be here. And you share stories about what the idea of America can give you out in the world, courage, hope, tenacity. Um, That's really what I wanted to convey in this, in this moment in time. Um, and I, it's just, a, as I said at the top, it's really humbling that putting this book out into the world, the response to it has been, has been remarkable. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, again, we, uh, we really appreciate you coming in tonight. Um, I'm going to pass it off here to, uh, to some of the Lau Rangers, uh, Drake, you are up first. Rog, thank you for joining us, man. Um, hey, Drake. so, um, just wanted to ask you a question. So a bunch of us want to get over to England at some point and, and kind of do a, an English football tour, so to speak, and, and kind of see all the historical places, the newer places. What would be your, I guess, a top five suggestion list of, of must-see stadiums, um, sites, et cetera? You know, it's a great – it's a beautiful question, Drake. And um, one of Pubs the – as well. <laughs> one of the – the, the joys of um, pre-COVID life. Every year we would go together as a show for what we call a Premier League football weekend where we choose a city and just go there, take in a couple of Premier League games and also just take in the sounds, the sights, the pies, uh, the beers that make that place utterly unique. Um, and there's so many different ways you can do it. You can go to London and really, I mean, you can, if you time it right, you can go to four, five, six games in a weekend, and particularly if you mix in the elite games, um, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham, West Ham, but, and then tri- uh, kind of trickle in some of the lower league games um, yeah. and really feel uh, like late in the Orient, really feel like the old school football uh, where everything smells of uh, faintly of spilt beer, body odor, and uh, police horse urine. I mean, that's like. That's like the, the the true joy of authentic football. I mean, but the last one we did, we went to Liverpool and Manchester, my hometown and the town that even though it's just 30 minutes away, when I grew up, it felt like a foreign country. We'd go there, we'd be like, oh my God, it feels like I've just walked into a Star Wars cantina. I don't understand this place at all. Um, and it, the, both of them are magnificent, swaggering nor- northern cities. Both think they're the, the greatest city in the world. I think one of them's probably right. And there's so much music and there's so much, um, there's so much culture and the same. I the restaurant life is unbelievable. You can't go wrong. See city, United, Liverpool, Everton all in one weekend. But the one place that I've drawn strength from, from my visits the past uh, 17 months during lockdown is the Churchill War Rooms in London, which is like, uh, like 100 feet under the streets of London where, 
during the, the Battle of Britain, during the Blitz of London, the British High Command, they lived under the ground for like 15, 16 months and against crazy odds, managed to keep the nation's morale up. And when you're there, I mean, during COVID, in lockdown, I've thought a lot about that place and about how you act in times of challenge, about how you act with tenacity, about how you can step up and really raise others' morale. So whatever you do, there's many ways to do it, Drake, but make sure you go to the Churchill War Rooms, mate. It's life-changing. Thank you, man. Appreciate your time. And uh, it's coming home for the World Cup. You know, I don't know about that. I don't know if it will ever come home. If it didn't come home today, it was the best chance that England have ever had to make it bloody come home. Even when it felt like it had come home for about five minutes, but it only come in, it only come home to put its laundry in and then it sodded off again. I mean, it was... Um, it was a bit dark. But anyway, the reality is USA 2022, 2026, building to something great. That's really the story that I'm fascinated by. Hey, we're one up on one up on Haiti right now. I'm not going to pretend I'm watching the game with one eye, which I am, but <laughs> I'm giving you my full attention. <laughs> uh, well, we, we've always got at least one eye on, on soccer here, uh, especially with our, our next uh, Lower Ranger stake. Cheers, Raj. Rough day. I lost. Every, uh, every day is a rough day when you've had fifty-five years of agony. State. Hey, I'm a I'm a lifelong Cubs fan. Let me tell you, it can get better. Uh, you're a beautiful human being. You can rewrite your narrative. I watched the Chicago Bears Super Bowl winning team after like 18, 19 years of utter self sabotage and. Uh, deep, deep failure. And then finally, after wasting Walter Payton's career, they finally turned it around, as you know, and rewrote their narrative. And there's a kid watching that from afar in in Liverpool. Uh, that showed me that, you know, nothing is a given. You can always, always transform your identity. And so, God, maybe one day it will be with England. That's, uh, that's perfect. That ties in my question. I recently, uh, last year, started following the Premiership, became a Newcastle fan. <laughs> oh mate that's yeah, hilarious how did you choose newcastle statement um, i i figured every american is a chelsea fan because of Pulisic, so i just kind of scoured the rosters and i was like hey i like deandre yedlin let's cheer on newcastle and then uh he didn't play much and now he's playing for turkey yeah he's playing but, in uh, in, uh, in turkey but that, that is a sophisticated choice he's a wonderful human being i do adore him and what you've chosen, I mean, I remember coming in, it's in my book, coming over as a kid, 15 years of age. I went to the White Sox game first, thank God, at Old Comiskey and became a White Sox fan for life. But the next day I went to the Cubs and sat in the bleachers, drank beers, shouted at Mookie Wilson with all the other people. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And when you sat there, it was just like passion and joy around defeat and loss, not like England. Like if England had won today, the reality is don't take away their losing. It's all they've got. It's part of their identity. So you've lived that with the Cubs. And so Newcastle is actually an incredible choice. The passion there, mate, is is unbelievable. You'll feel very at home if you ever do get there. Yeah, I don't feel like I made a poor choice. And actually the way they finished the season was, was uh, um exciting you know like am, am i foolish to expect them to be better than a mid-table team next season um you know i don't like to come on your show and tell you you're foolish state that's not my <laughs> style um i would say that um i'd say play the long game state on this one if i were you i would definitely think about the long game um 
ownership is everything in in the Premier League. Not in a way, you know, American sports with with the the most uh, obsessed with being capitalist in uh, most asset most aspects of life. But in your sports, you're actually bizarrely communal with your draft picks and your rev share and your salary caps. And they don't have any of that really in the Premier League. And even when they have it, they're pretending they have it and everyone else works out ways to get around it. And Newcastle happened to have a terrible, terrible owner who doesn't really give a crap of the team, is perpetually trying to sell it. And the correlation between economics and outcome in league position is pretty definitive. So ultimately, you'll make great memories. You'll have a great laugh. They're the Newcastle people. Not unlike Liverpool people, like football represents them. It's how they go out into the world with that mighty, mighty lore and that mighty story. So I'd say you picked tradition, you picked joy, you picked some pretty hard men who love to go to a game in the freezing cold and wear just a T-shirt, took a packet of cigarettes into the sleeve, fold it up, and then in five minutes in, that T-shirt's gone. It's just let it all out. I never quite understand why... Football has become a place where middle-aged men feel quite brazen to take their shirt off in public and just let it all hang out. No one does it better than Newcastle fans. So you made the connoisseur's choice. Sounds like you made a perfect choice. Thank you, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Again, we are talking tonight to Roger Bennett. He is the author of Reborn in the USA, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home. Again, New York Times debuting uh, as the New York Times uh, bestseller. Next up, we got Christy Yamaguchi, Maine. Thanks, Beep. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for being here, man. Uh, your ability to paint a picture with words is just about unparalleled. I don't think I've ever heard somebody uh, get as descriptive as you do. And that was the most polite way of telling stake. He picked a terrible team uh, to, to play the long game. Uh, I'm going to start using that in all, all facets of life from now on. Um, question wise, uh, my favorite thing to do when I visit another country is to just basically eat my way through it, right? I think a lot of people do that. So what is something uh, kind of like a regional dish uh, that you've tried in the United States that you are surprised that you enjoyed? I love them all. I mean, it's part, honestly, it's part of the joy and it's been part of the, the hardest part of lockdown uh, or an aspect of lockdown that was hard was that I love roaming this nation. And through my job, I get to you know go, uh, say in the beginning of the book, I love Charlottesville, I love Nashville, I love all the villes, and I love nothing more than like arriving in a city like Nashville and just rolling right from the airport right to Prince's hot chicken and just getting some extra, extra, extra hot wings. And just like, it, it's just a genuine joy to roll into Minneapolis and go to Matt's bar and grab a, Juicy Lucy. I don't understand why Juicy Lucy's aren't bigger, by the way. How that stayed a regional uh, food is is really uh, beyond me. And um, I, I adore um, regional cuisine of every single kind. I adore um, rolling around this nation. Every city I get to go to is genuinely an honor. When, when I was a kid, this is in the book, there was a show on uh, American tele- on English television called Entertainment USA by a very weird man, as we found out later in life, like all English television presenters, he was a dark human being in extraordinary fashion, but we didn't know that back then. He just went from one city to another. And he'd be like, like, hey, hi, today I'm in Seattle. 
It's an, and it's actually on you say it's a very conservative city. We're very very stiff people. Like my God, I mean, it was his show is out of date, but he'd be like, he'd be like, hey, here I am in Hawaii. I'm going to go and visit the largest bone structure of a dead sperm whale. And we'd be like, oh my God, that looks amazing. And then he'd be like, I remember the one in particular. He's like, hey, here I am in Salt Lake City. It's amazing. And we watched it. And he interviewed the Mormon Church, and then went to some water slide place on the outskirts of town and we were like in liverpool watching that like, oh my god that looks amazing i've got to move there so th that spirit i've never lost to be honest i genuinely love going everywhere i can't think of a single delicacy uh, i had some crazy stuff when we were in minnesota that uh, the the fish they do i can't remember the name in embalming fluid it's like got a um ludafisk yes Ludafit, I loved it. Oh, mate, everyone. He's one of my favorite rappers. Yeah. <laughs> the famous Swedish rapper, Ludafit. Yes. He, he, um, he, I, I was, I ate it live on stage. And as I was about to put it to my mouth, 3,000, um, um, Minnesotans just screamed, don't do it. But I loved it. I love it all because it all ultimately tastes of America. And I do, I write about that in my book. The first time I actually came here. We drove straight from the airport to Arby's. I didn't know what Arby's was. <laughs> and I was just like, I just ordered like a beef uh, sandwich. The, the, the wax paper smelt so good. The, 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 the gravy just dripped down the front of my shirt. And it just, I, it, it tasted like democracy and freedom. Thank you so much, Roger. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Next up, we got Pam. Hey, Roger. How are you? Pam, I'm so happy to see you. What city are you in? I am right outside of Charlottesville, which made me so excited that you just said Charlottesville is one of your favorite cities. Wahoo wah. Exactly. Exactly. I work there. So I work at UVA. So I'm super excited. There you go. What is that? What's going on? Um, so my question is like steak. I am also pretty new to Premier League fandom. My team is Tottenham. Um, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So, my question is, it's starting to look like Harry Kane is probably going to go to Man U, or that's what I was reading. Do you think that's happening? And if not, do you think there's any way Tottenham can keep him? So... Again, what a, um, a a bold choice. A I, I admire deeply. One of the joys of American football is, first of all, how um, madly, truly, deeply Americans go from like don't care for the sport to like getting Tottenham till I die tattooed on their forearm. That that velocity of the trajectory is like I just love it in every single. I'm fair. I once actually watched the Tottenham game in a bar with an American who had the Tottenham crest tattooed on his arm. I said to him, what, well, how'd you, why'd you have that done, mate? And he goes, um, well, my last name's Thompson, and they used to be sponsored by Thompson. It's a holiday company. They used to have on the front of their shirts. I was like, that's it? And he's like, yep, that's how I became a Tottenham fan. I was like, and now you have Tottenham till I die tattooed on your forearm. He's like, yep. And that's what I love about America in every regard. Like, you guys, you go so hard so far. So you've chosen Tottenham which I will say is a great pick because you've like, I'm guessing you were like, I don't want to pick the New York Yankees kind of bandwagon powerhouse, but I kind of like them to win a little bit possibly in my lifetime. I'd like them to be in London in case I go there. So it's not too far a commute. And then you got this beautiful team and they are, it's a traditional team with real a history of 
attacking, joyous football. They always prefer to entertain the win sometimes in their career. They've always had maverick players who like would rather like just like hop down the field, bouncing the ball on their head and only score that. That's the only way I score rather than like actually try and play football. And I love them all the more for it. I will say they're in a little bit of a dark time. They made a bet on the stadium, massive, beautiful stadium. It's incredible. And then they got whacked because COVID uh, came in. So they've not been able to pay off the debt. And they also made a double bet that they'd have NFL games playing there forever. And as soon as COVID kicked in, the NFL is like, oh, did we say we were coming over to play games? We meant yes, in several years time. So they really are sinking financially at the moment, which is why um, Harry Kane most probably will leave. And I will say, I think no one will be sadder about that than Harry Kane. He's a wonderful man. He really is an incredible, he's the kind of guy that in another era would have jumped into a Spitfire, shot down 12 German planes, and then just casually got out the Spitfire and scored 100 at cricket and then run onto a football field and scored a hat-trick for England. He can do it all. He's joyous. And I spent time with him at Tottenham. And, you know, as fans, we always project that the players love the club as much as you do. They never do. They don't care at all. They like paychecks and they like moving up to bigger and bigger clubs. He never did. He stayed. He was super loyal. Um, and I watched him move around Tottenham. He really loves it, loves his uh, coaches from youth who brought, brought him through. I think it will pain him deeply. But something breaks in you when the team that you're growing with and the team really was on upward trajectory just suddenly plummets. And I think, I think something has broken irreparably. He's made his decision and it would be very hard to imagine him uh, staying, which is heartbreaking because he and the player, Sonny, Hung Min Son, they just had such joyous, wonderful chemistry. It's actually deeply life-affirming. Like it, it, if you didn't like them, then you didn't like joy in life. And who doesn't like joy in life? So I would say brace yourself. Let's say there's a new era. You're gonna, your team and are gonna go on a new journey. It's a new day. It's a new page in the post Harry Kane world. But I would be shocked if he was around by the time the season began. All right. Well, I'm gonna be a little heartbroken, but I'm gonna move forward and I'll follow him wherever. I'll still be a Harry Kane. So that's a funny thing Americans can do is like they do follow players. You know, I was a Ronaldo fan, so I was a Madrid fan. Now I'm a Juventus fan. Next, I'll be a Columbus Crew fan when Ronaldo washes <laughs> up there. Who knows? Uh, but it's it's amazing. America is it's it's the greatest place to cover football from. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I know it was a crazy day, so I appreciate you making time. Thank for you, it. thank you for having me. Next up, we have our foreign correspondent who is also our Euro 2020 pool queen, Morgan from Australia. Thank you. I appreciate the applause that didn't come. That's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you probably should all bow down to me, but that's all right. We already did. Um, okay. Rog, um, I just want to say I appreciate so much your passion for where you live because that's something that I drive these people mad with is my passion for where I live and how much it means to me. So to hear you talk about how you feel about America, um, it, I connect with it and I really enjoy it. Um, do you think that England are bad at sport because you sent all the good sportsmen to Australia? Um, God, that's such a good question. Does history come back to haunt us? You know, I, um, I, but I want you to know I do revere Australia 
and I adore it. I, um, I'm quite fascinated by it at the moment. Um, the, during the darkness of COVID, um, I did listen to a lot of Australian music. I'm not quite sure why, but I got quite hooked on a radio show on a station that you have there called Triple J. And there's a show uh, called Home and Hose, which every night just plays for an hour local indie uh, Australian music, like everything indie that's coming out in Australia. And I became quite fascinated. Almost like when New York was dark and terrible and chaotic, it almost the music almost allowed me to connect to another world where things were quite positive and optimistic for a, uh, a temporary perspective. So I know English people are meant to feel an antagonism towards Australia. I love it in every um, in every single regard. So, God, English people are bad at sport. English people were bad at sport. When I was a kid, we were so bloody terrible. You know, we were quite good at the sitting down sports. Like, if you sat down to do it, we were not bad. So, like, we're pretty good at the rowing. We always, like, dominated the rowing. And if it was, like, a skeleton, one of those, I didn't even know that was a sport until England won gold by flinging themselves down an icy luge. But with the ones where sports we had to stand up were always quite complicated. By the way, congratulations on your Wimbledon win. That was bloody amazing and Thank joyous. And I love Yvonne. I love Yvonne Goolagong, Yvonne Cooley. I think she's still yeah. like one of my favourite tennis players of all time. So the echoes of that were amazing. Um, why are we crap at sports? I mean, we're crap at a lot. The reality is, I think the answer is not about Australia. I think it's just that we're crap at a lot of things. And here, if you want me to be honest, Morgan, here's why I think we are is and this is like the core of my book when the beastie boys came over to liverpool we're like we love the beastie boys we revered the beastie boys we lived for the beastie boys the beastie boys albums were like faintly audible all over britain but they came to bloody liverpool and we canned them off within a one song like we we we, we started a riot we fought them um ad rock got arrested by the police and the police had to tear gas the venue and we had a riot and what I realized that night, and it was one of the reasons why I realized I needed to leave and move to America, was, and this is actually a Steve Coogan quote. Um, he once said, the actor once said, if you give your average Englishman the choice between his success and your failure, he'll choose your failure every time. And that's all, ultimately it. It's like, we love to crap on our own. We love to crap on our own people. You look at, so there's a manager, Gareth Southgate of the England team. He's a joyous, wonderful man. But my God, he missed a penalty in a key game in 1996 and we really destroyed him. We just, so many of our English players have actually on redemption tours because we've destroyed them. We hate them. Like we tell them they're crap. And I think our, our predilection to really, it's a, I mean, to some degree, Australians talk about tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I was I going to say, I can relate. We, we do that. Do you do you do, do you do that as well as us? If it was a if yeah. there was a, if if tall poppy syndrome was a gold sport, who would medal, England or Australia? In your oh uh, well, like we we like a comeback story as well. So we like a redemption story, and we're we're pretty fair. We'll give you a second chance, but it's like if, if you put your head up a bit too far, we will chop it off. We'll whack you. Like, so that's yeah, like, like Kyrgios and yeah those kind of players. They that that happens to them. Like Nick Kyrgios can do great things, but he does the one bad thing and then we chop him down again. 
We, right. but we, I, the, the, our, most of our teams, I think, when I think about it, because your question's a good one, that our teams are always competing against their opponent and they're competing against the spectre of the tabloid media just mm. obliterating them. For you Americans, it's like the New York sports media. You know, when you say the pressure of the New York sports market, that's what every English athlete, those are the odds. You can either have incredible glory, but nine-tenths of the time, you know you're going to crack. And most of the time you crack because of the self-inflicted pressure. So I'm not sure if it's the Australia thing, although I do like your theory that we, we, that we sent away our most athletic DNA. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. That's all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that it, that was what happened. God love. And I'll, what time is it where you are? Um, it is 12.30 in the afternoon. And how the hell did you start listening to Dan, Dan's show in Australia? Um, Oh, my boyfriend was listening, listened to it for years. And I was like, what is this shit? Um, and didn't like it to start with because um, I didn't get it. And then I started to like it. And one day I decided I was going to call into the local hour. And so I ran and hid in the garage. I've hid in the garage a lot. Um, I ran in there and I, I called Miami and I didn't tell him I was calling. So and it was pre-recorded so i waited until the podcast had came out and i came inside and i'm like oh you should listen now so okay yeah cool he put it on and then and about 10 minutes in they're like we're gonna go to australia and he turned around and looked at me like what have you done and then yeah that's how i kind of met these people because i called the show this is amazing god love dan just uniting the world yeah and i warned them about um the toilet paper um I, yeah, I think that's why they're my friend, because I warned them about the toilet paper shortage when COVID happened. Saving the world. Yeah, one square at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, we always appreciate you saving us uh, one roll at a time. Yeah, four ply. Next up, we got Steve. All right, Roger. So keeping with the, the different countries theme, um, I just want to know, who do you think is more of an embarrassment to their country? Donald Trump or Boris Johnson? Oh, uh, I mean, I'd say political leadership is it's a very complicated um, thing in 2021. And um, it's super, super um, tough and super, super dark. And the uh, quality of the individuals that want to lead politically it all i mean all over the world just seems to have taken a um just seems to have taken a nosedive so i think it's a this there's, there's a there's a phenomenon that's going on all over the world where it used to be something a pathway that many people uh obsessed to um follow and somehow it's been reduced to fairly i mean it's become i mean it's socially media driven it's become very much about trolling rather than leading and so i think there's so many bloody countries that need an upgrade which is why it was been thrilling to watch this english national team for the past month because the manager not clear he's actually very good at football management, but it didn't really matter what he was so unbelievably good at. He had emotional intelligence. He had deep empathy. He was incredibly articulate. And to watch Gareth Southgate, is his name, lead, and he really did have to lead. He didn't lead to begin with on the football field. He had to defang incredibly complicated societal challenges as many of the English fans were actually booing their own team 
when they kneeled before the game. And he defanged it with class and style and intelligence and human wonder. And um, there was an English journalist, Barney Renee, who said he carries himself, Gareth Southgate, like he's the last sane man in Britain which is the best way of capturing him. And you do, you kind of look at him and you're like, dude, if that guy was prime minister, England would be, England would be Scandinavia, but he's not. And, um, and it isn't. So um, it's a, uh, it's a wild time. It's why Stugat should be president. <laughs> All right. So to line up the mood then, when will Preston North End make it to the Premier League? Oh, mate. Probably before England win something, I would imagine. And, uh, how are you at Preston North End? You look very fetching in that sweater. My uh, my one of my college roommates came over here for uh, for a year, and he's from Preston, so he got me he got me the jersey, and he he's a upset English fan always. I love it. I love the arbitrariness of life. Sorry to take you to a dark place, but that was a heavy question, Steve. <laughs> All right, appreciate your time, Morgan. You actually had a follow up on. Uh... On that. Yeah, I'm um, just in regards to Gareth and like the emotional intelligence, like to see him after the game comforting his players. Do you think that comes from his experience in what he faced? Yeah, I don't I know Gareth Southgate, so it's hard for me to to comment directly. But um, so for those who don't know, Gareth Southgate was a was a good footballer, not a great footballer. He was a good footballer, and he played for England. And he always gave everything. Like that was the kind of guy who was like my favorite baseball player is Joey Cora because he just like this guy was never going to be like the star of the White Sox. But my God, he just brought it every single game and seemed to also never never take anything for granted. And Gareth Southgate was that player. He's actually quite a cerebral player. Like he was constantly on a quest for self improvement. And in the 1996 Euros, which was the last, was actually played in England, England played Germany in the semi-final. We were meant to win. It's where the phrase, it's coming home, began. And they blew it on penalties. And Gareth Southgate effed up the, the losing penalty. And it was he said it's a trauma from which you'll never heal. But he also talks quite honestly and openly. It was devastating to him. I mean, it was devastating to him. He was absolutely buried in the media. And um, he talks about it all the time as a source of his the vulnerability being the source of his greatest strength. It's very clear. They kept so when England did win at penalties finally under his leadership that he they said, "Does that heal it now?" He said, "Oh no, the wound will never heal." He said, "I can never repay my t- the team that I failed in 1996. My teammates that I failed, I can never make it up to them. I've taken that away from them." But I he he said, "I can draw." life experience from it and use that life experience for other people and so i have no doubt that um that he is the most healing leader for those three kids it was the miss today it was young guys young guys with so much talent slightly weird to me that he sent them up to shoot knowing how much of a crucible of pressure it is knowing that no matter how good you are at penalties when you're on the training ground having a laugh and just like swazzing shots all over the place, there's nothing that can prepare you to walk that half length of the field, a walk of just doom uh, with so much pressure on your shoulders, your heart beating, your adrenaline flowing, your nervous system telling you to uh, fight or flight. And um, and the guys sank. So I, I found that very weird that knowing what he knows, he willingly sent up young young raw raw kids for that but now that they effed up i think there's probably no better bloke to heal them i oh, just one more should Grealish have taken the penalty or 
God, so this is so these are deep questions. Penalties, it's such a bloody stupid way to finish a game. It's so unrelated to the game of football. The game of football is a team game, collective game, my team against your team. Penalty shootout is individuals going up to, I mean, in a game of chance. It's like they may as well have said, let's, uh, if it's 0 0 at the end of everything, let's let the guys play Russian roulette or maybe let's let them have a dance off. In fact, a dance off is arguably more related to the 120 minute that goes in front of them. I'd actually love to see. They should be able to choose two players each and just have a dance off, just like we. They could just TikTok it on and TikTok their asses off. It'd be amazing. Have a pie eating contest. Get the managers, get the managers to, to just pie it up. I mean, whatever the hell it is, it's ridiculous. Um, should, so Grealish is the maverick young player who um, every English person likes to believe was going to deliver glory to us. Um, and I've got to say, ultimately, these penalty shootout, you need to have such an intense um, focus, such an unwavering confidence. And he didn't take one. And so he must I mean, he must have said, I don't fancy this. I do not fancy this. Send up one of the kids. That's probably what he said. Let someone else fail. Don't, 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 don't make me F up. And so that's what you can't do. You can't say you should take one, but it was bloody weird that at the end of the day, we sent out our most beautiful, our noble, our gorgeous, our, 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 we also mortgaged our future. These kids are going to be the England team for the next 15 years. And we've, we've started them off great by making them crap it in front of the whole nation. So God love him. God love him. I wish, I I, you know, I'm surprised Tom Cruise didn't bloody take one. <laughs> Jump out of the box, just vault over the side. Guys, I got this. Um, that's what England should have done. They should have sent up David Beckham out the Royal Box and let Tom Cruise take the fifth one. If you're going to have five people kicking penalties, you should have five keepers too. Like if everyone's going to do a job that not everyone does, then that I like. all do it. That I like. They should take it in turns to playing yeah. goal too. I love that. I love that. Why not? Because five people don't take penalties, so that's it's just stupid. It there was stupid. a good idea on our show that um, the team should be the team should be able to pick the five players from the other team that shoot, yeah. so they cho- they can choose the most psychologically damaged ones, and it could just be a complete and utter crap. That's how they do it in America. It would be like it would be like um, Love Island. It would just yeah, turn into a complete really and utter psychological <laughs> meltdown. Yes, exactly. Yeah, those three Football boys would be getting picked forever now. Poor kids. Too much football. What else? What else can I tell you? Dan, <laughs> friends of Dan. Well, folks, we are talking tonight to Roger Bennett. He is the author of Reborn in the USA, uh, a, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home. Uh, next up tonight, we have Ant in Brooklyn. So I'm going to apologize on the front end, uh, Roger. Thank you for joining us, but I'm one of the few Italian fans in this group. So uh, today was a wonderful day for me. And other than Kane, if I was picking the five guys to do it, four of the guys you picked would have been four of the people I would have chipped in. So. I know. Was it must have been some night at the Bada Bing tonight, right? For you? <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. So I do have a question about PKs, though. What do you think of the people who do the stutter steps. I feel like everybody who does that stutter step jerky, jerky stuff is just bound to miss. It happened to Italy and it happened for England. It did. So Jorginho, who's Brazilian but plays for Italy, has got this patented incredible thing where he likes um, 
uh, unsyncopatedly runs up, which throws the keeper off. And the keeper's always looking for tells. Like the keepers are looking for how you plant your foot. That's what they look for. If uh, However you plant your foot, the keepers normally dive the other way. And he defies them uh, from seeing that by leaping into the air while watching them the whole time. And when they move, he's got the unbelievable ability to just roll it casually in the other way. And it looks so unbelievable when it works. And when it doesn't, you look like a... Uh, you look like me. So, um, and then Rashford, the poor English guy who tried to do it. You can actually, if you watch the film, uh, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Jorginho practices this. He's been doing it on like Brazilian fields for like decades. This is his patented move. It just didn't work tonight. Rashford looked like a kid who's like watched Jorginho a couple of times on YouTube and like not quite got it down yet. And you can see when he does his final leap into the air, and the goalkeeper just stands there, this giant man. He's like, he's like Italian Ed Too Tall Jones, Donnarumma. And he just stands there. He's like, I'm not. You can tell Donnarumma's just like, I am not moving. And you can see Rashford is in the air. And he's just like, oh, crap, I'm in the air. I don't know what to do. And you then you can hear this whole body go like, abort, abort, abort. And then you can, if you watch closely, it's like... Um, you can see his little heartbreak before he's, he knows he's missing before he shoots. And then he just sends this pathetically weak, little impotent, little tinkler. And Donnarumma, uh, it, it, the reality is it's much harder than it looks. Don't try it at home, kids. And most certainly don't try it for the first time in public when the whole game's on the line like poor Marcus Rashford did tonight. Yeah, it's very much so. So I have one more question. Since you sure. mentioned it earlier, what's your favorite Run DMC song? Um, I do like, I mean, I like the whole Raising Hell album, to be candid. Okay. Um, and I like uh, Peter Piper, probably. I remember, I remember like hearing, um, um, I remember him walk this way when I moved. So in the book, I go to Chicago when I'm 15 for the first time f to spend the summer on the North Shore, where John Hughes kind of used it as his tapestry for his uh, movies. And it was life changing for me. But Walk This Way was faintly audible all over um, all over MTV, all bloody summer. And um, and what shocked me about Raising Hell was it was actually the worst track on the album. And so when I heard uh, those cowbells at the beginning of Peter uh, Fiverr, the, the, um, I spent just months trying to learn how to beatbox in my bedroom, which was really just me spitting on my bedroom mirror. Um, but my God, it was magnificent. You know, growing up in New York, they were a big influence on me. My dad worked in a school where where hip-hop was sort of a big part of the, the school. So they were definitely... Uh, I was very yeah. excited when you said that you mentioned you liked them. And, and Beastie Boys as well as another group. I mean, I love Kings of Rock. Was, um, was yeah. I adored that. And the, the thing I adored about all of their music was that it made me realize that so much um, of the music I listened to before was music of like wistful, passive longing. And these were guys who decided to just turn their mouths into fire hoses to spit out rhymes, um, shout their dreams out, and then make those dreams come true. And it was like really startlingly beautiful, both their music, but also their very being. And I loved it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Next up, we have Mark. Roger. Um, thank you again. So in your first book, The Encyclopedia, uh, you know, America's Guide to Soccer, Sport of the Future since 1972. You mentioned you give a bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah speech to your son. 
um, and you have the seven lessons that you wish you knew when you're 13, but you only give six, <laughs> what would be the seventh, maybe something you learned today, the last five hours, or maybe the past year that you would go back and rewrite and add one more? You know, um, God, you've got a very good memory. I've not thought about that in a... Um, no, I don't a, have a good memory. I read it today for the first time. You're a beautiful I, human I, I being. And thank you. It's a book with the world's first um, with the world's first tweet cover in publishing history. Um, I do think that, um, that what um, lockdown has shown us as we are reopening, and particularly for kids, um, and a lot of kids are feeling this, you know, whatever summer programs they're in or whatever sports programs they're in, and not um, not what they were or how they remember them. I do think life is about making the best out of what you've got, rather than um, rather than being irritated by how it's not what it used to be. And I think particularly for kids, that's super difficult, as that's what they're you know they, there's the shock of coming out of this post COVID uh, or please God post COVID world. And I think the the thing I, I find myself saying to my kids over and over and over again. It's just like, I know it's different. I understand you're shocked that it's not what it was, but let's just effing make the best of uh, of what there is, which is pretty much my approach to sports. All the sports teams I support are utterly crap, like the Chicago Bears, Everton Football Club, um, and the like. And then a team like the Chicago White Sox, which is perpetually crap, will suddenly turn good. And when you have that, I, I do believe it, just savour those moments and dance like you're at your own kid's wedding because you're never going to know when it's going to return to crap again. Good advice. I'll savor this moment right now, Raj. You're a beautiful, <laughs> I would I, I savor every moment apart from this one, Mark, would be, uh, would be my advice. <laughs> one more. Let's do one more. All right. We got one more question here. We're going to go out to, uh, to Lou. He has a, uh, a special gift for you. I have, and, and I do have a quick question too. That's all right. Amazing. I love your t-shirt, Link. Thank you. It's uh Tom. It's hilarious. And so uh <laughs> so the last time you were on the Levitard show, um, you were talking about uh football in the eighties and the nineties, and you said once they're done, they have a cigarette, a pint, and a pie. So what cigarette are you smoking? What pint are you drinking, and what pie are you eating? If if I was a footballer in the nineteen eighties. Is that the am I, do I have to pretend that I'm a footballer in the 1980s, or are you t- telling me now that I would be? Uh... Let's let's go if you were in the 80s. Yes. God, um, you know, uh, probably in the 1980s, there there's an English uh, cigarette called a Woodbine, which was uh, which is bizarrely hilarious and had uh, just chunks of wood in there. It was just terribly processed, and you could just be smoking. I mean, everybody smoked back then, like seven-year-old kids eight-year-old kids and you'd just be smoking it and then it would just like hit a big clump of wood and the thing would just go out so it would be uh, definitely be a woodbine the beer you would be drinking everything was so regional back then man there was like those were the days before super brewers um and so everything was utterly every city had its own beer and i will say when budweiser crashed into the english marketplace when i was about 13 I remember begging my dad. Uh, hey, I remember begging my dad to get me them um, whenever we watched the Chicago Bears play. And he would. He'd buy. He'd buy. Always buy me and my mate. He'd buy us one each, 
And when the Bears, like even in the Super Bowl, when the Bears, I mean, that was actually one of the most anticlimactic games of all time against my favourite New England Patriots quarterback ever, Tony Eason, when they just smashed them completely. Um, and there was nothing really to watch because there was no suspense. I remember spending almost the entire second half just staring at that can of Budweiser and having it just say to me, move to America, move to America. So probably a Budweiser and the pie, I love pies of all kinds. Don't make me choose. They're all, some of my best friends are pies. Um, I mean, pies are just, they're just genuinely joyful, no matter how dark the world is, no matter how frigid, no matter how deep into the English winter you are, where there's thimblefuls of light um, and there's like two hours of daylight during the day. Just, there's an agony. There's a there's a low hanging fear of violence which is always there in the 80s. But mate, those that moment when you have a full pie in front of you, that is that is quality time. You're really living. Fantastic. Where are you? What are we in? What are we looking at here? Me, this is well. This kind of deals with what we have. So this is my shot. This is where I, I do my work and business, and so and that's also where I do our podcast. So while we were talking, uh, I made you a hat. Yes. Uh, so we got your hat. I'm, if you can kind of see it, it says uh, more American than Kenny Powers. Oh, my God. That is possibly, possibly the single greatest hat I have ever seen. That is genuinely a work of art, which is so unbelievably deeply moving. I could not effing love that more. Thank you. That is well, fantastic. Well, I'm we'll going to wear the F out of that. It's a 47 too, which is like I do love. I do. I'm very partial to a 47. Good, just good. America. Thank well, you. We'll get with we'll get with your details and we'll we'll get that hat mailed out to you this week. Okay. Genuinely, genuinely. Oh my God. I'm uh, I'm suddenly. This is my number one. It's my favorite Dan LeBatard fan podcast of all time. I'm just going to say what? that. Well, shockingly, we're not the only one. Is There's another true? one. Yeah. <laughs> there is another. Oh God. Have I just got myself into the Israel-Palestine conflict? Wait. No. No. <laughs> no he's. No. A- Ceasefire. You, ceasefire. You, you already said it. We're the best. We're going to keep it at that. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, what did so, I just do? Roger, that's actually something we do for, for all of our, our special guests. We like to give them a, a nice little gift for giving us your time. Um, so speaking of that, can I get a thank you, Roger, in the chat on the count of three? One, two, three. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Hilarious and mortifying. I just say, you're lovely human beings. I did this because I think Dan brings incredible joy out into the world. I think it's a very rare currency, an all too rare currency. And so, you know, to give respect to human beings who are loving the joy that Dan's putting out into the world, it really is a delight to be with you. And um, God love all. Unfortunately, bad news for you. I think I'm going to be sullying that show tomorrow. So, um, Godspeed. We can't wait to have you. We Don't forget to to you to health to happiness to joy. Um, stay cool. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Cheers. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Roger. Appreciate Cheers, it, Roger. guys. Thank you. And again, you guys can get his book "Reborn in the USA: An Englishman's Love Letter to His Chosen Home." Get that wherever you buy books nowadays. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. 
We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.